Please join me. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm chapter 23 or follow along with the text that's on your display. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. You know, the world is in uh, crisis mode, and it's difficult to put into words what some people are going through right now, if you're a pastor or a leader in our church, I'm sure there's great understanding and compassion towards many who are suffering in our congregation. But right now, everyone is isolated. Everyone's experiencing different ranges of fear and loneliness. And some people are actually experiencing and undergoing greater pressure, whether it's at home or at work at home or with their children. And it's difficult to find relief. It's difficult to find comfort. It's difficult to even find a place where you can, for a moment, experience a glimpse of relief or comfort. But that's why Psalm chapter 23 was written. I'm going to give you a very brief overview of this important psalm today. And over the next two months, our pastors and interns are going to unpack each line of this psalm to give us answers to the questions of fear and loneliness and isolation and pressure and sadness and loss. How do you combat your fears? How do you combat the darkness and the death being in the valley today? There are three lessons that we're going to look at today. One, the need to be weak before God. Two, the need to be intimate with God. And lastly, how you can become weak and intimate. Weak before God, intimate with God. The need to be weak, the need to be intimate, and how you can become both. First, we're going to look at the need to be weak before God. In verse 1, the author, who is King David, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, David is a king. He's a great king, perhaps the greatest king in Israel. Most likely, Psalm 23 was written in his later years, which means David is now looking back on his life. He's looking back on his life, and he concludes that God, the Lord, very, very personal, the Lord is my shepherd. David is a king, but to refer to God as a shepherd, he's implying that he is sheep. We are sheep. It takes tremendous humility for somebody in a high place to be in a weak place. It takes tremendous humility, a certain kind of person to say that I am, I'm looking at my weakness to look to God as his shepherd. Now remember, David was a shepherd a long time ago. He was the eighth son of Jesse, his father. And when Samuel, the judge, when Samuel, the judge, the prophet came to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to become king, David wasn't even brought into the house. Seven is the perfect number. And so Jesse only brought out seven people, the first seven brothers. David was completely overlooked before he became king. But God never overlooked David. God never had forsaken David. He never never forgot about David. In fact, when David was alone taking care of sheep, God was using that isolation 
that time of isolation, that, that period of aloneness, the period where he was overlooked by his father, the period where he was cast aside by his brothers, that period, which was kind of a blank period, God was using that as an incubator to build into David the mentality, the leadership, the skills, the competencies, the courage, the love for the Lord that he needed to become king. And if he can do that through David, the eighth son, completely forgotten, he can be using your isolation and your loneliness and your aloneness and your being overlooked to build kingliness in you. Now, it was in the fields where David learned to protect sheep. It was in the fields where David learned to lead sheep. It was in the fields where he learned to kill lions and bears, things that were much larger than him. It was in the fields where he learned what it means to put his life down on the line for his sheep. And now, reflecting back on his life, David is able to call God, the Lord, his shepherd, and implies that we are sheep. Sheep are helpless. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep can't live on their own. There's no such thing as wild sheep. And yet still, when we try to rescue sheep, when a shepherd actually comes and binds up a sheep, he literally has to grab them by his, by his legs and bind them up because they're fighting and screaming and constantly resistant, never thankful. David is saying, the Lord calls me. The Lord rescues me. The Lord leads me. The Lord disciplines me. The Lord comforts me. The Lord saves me. God is very personal to David. In fact, the way he refers to God as the Lord is a term that only people who are special to God, who are part of God's chosen people, could refer to him. He calls him the Lord. And through this relationship with God, David recognizes how helpless and defenseless and reliant he needs to be on God. Psalm 23 is not a paper. It's not an analysis. It's not a thesis. It's a song. And that means that David is reflecting on his relationship with God, his relationship with the Lord, and he's singing about it. He's reflecting on who God is to him, and he's enjoying it. He's embracing it. He's treasuring it. This is a king saying that he is weak, and yet he's saying, yes, I treasure this. I'm singing about this relationship because God has always provided for me. That's verse 1. He's always cared for me. He's always, I'm always safe in him. That's verse 2. He's rescued me. He's led me. That's verse 3. He's always protected me no matter the danger. And he's always corrected me whenever I've gone astray. That's verse 4. He's always, I'm always victorious with him. He's always providing for me. He's always inviting me. He's always healing me. He's always intimate with me. That's verse 5. He's always shown me grace. Goodness, mercy, love, and he always, as a shepherd, leads me home. That's verse 6. Are you in isolation? Are you in darkness? Is there brokenness, a particular brokenness right now that you're experiencing? Is there loss? Is there fear? Is there betrayal? Even during this time, is there, are you at war, either in yourself or with others? For David, from the moment that he was anointed king, when the spirit rushed into his life, that's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, when the spirit rushed into his life, from that point on, there was trouble, there's been suffering, there was trial. 
David lived in the king's palace where the king wanted to take his life. David lived in caves in actual darkness. David lived isolated from his family. David was engaged in civil war. In fact, he was engaged in multiple civil wars. David had been torn from his friends, betrayed by members of his family, betrayed by his son, fought for his life over and over and over in the darkness, in sin. He faced lions and bears and giants and kings and sons, oh my. How did he get through life facing isolation and death? The Lord is my shepherd, he says. David's the greatest king in the history of Israel that Israel had ever seen. In fact, First and Second Samuel, those two books are the single greatest and largest accounts of a single person's life in all of ancient literature. Not just the Bible, in all of ancient literature. And yet, David's conclusion here is that the safest place to be is not in his palace. It's where God is. That's why the cave was safe for him. That's where the presence of God was. In the darkness. Total surrender. Weakness. What does that mean? You want to be like a king? You want the character of kingliness? True kingliness doesn't mean that you have no more kings in your life, but that you surrender to the ultimate king, the ultimate Lord, and that Lord is personal to you. That means that in order to be like a king, even in the midst of darkness and suffering, whether it's sin or sins being committed against you, whether it's darkness physical or darkness pandemic, you must first become sheep. You have to be weak. You have to surrender. The way up is always down. That's the first point. We need to be weak before God. The second point is that we need to be intimate with God. David, he didn't just surrender blindly. There's no leap of faith here. In fact, the concept or the notion of a leap of faith doesn't really exist in the Bible. David is reflecting and contemplating and meditating on truth mixed into his rational, that's rational truth, mixed into his personal experience on life. And he's looking at his relationship with God and he starts to sing. He starts to sing. He's intimate with God. Because that which is closest to you in your suffering will lead you. That which you hold closest to you in your suffering will rest, that you believe will restore you is your shepherd. That which you believe or keep closest to you or pursue when you are suffering, that is your treasure. What do you cling to? What do you cling to for guidance? Who is your first phone call? What is the first go-to for restoration or for a rescue daily right now? When you are lonely, when you are separated, when you are in fear, when there's trouble and pressure bearing down on you. To refer to God as your shepherd. To refer to God as the shepherd. David is emphasizing his intimacy with God. Remember, verse 1 He doesn't say, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my redeemer, the Lord is my king. Those are still impersonal references to God, whereas a shepherd lives among the sheep. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The shepherd holds the sheep and embraces the sheep. The shepherd feeds the sheep. The shepherd does everything for a sheep. And so each line of this psalm represents, one, who God is to David, Two, what that says about David. 
what that says about what he lacks. David's a king. And so if David is saying this, surely we should be saying this. What that says about what we lack or what we need when we are apart from the Lord. Three, how we are so resistant to the Lord because we seek these things so readily elsewhere. And so each line is a provision, it's a confession, it's a prayer. And when you reflect on this and dwell on God as the object of all these things, yes, it turns into a song, and it's a song of intimacy. Verse 1, I shall not be in want. In In the Lord, David says, I have everything I need. That means you can go to God with your needs. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That means he gives me rest because we so desperately need rest. We're home 24-7 these days, and we are restless. You can go to God with your labor. You can go to God with your sadness. You can go to God with your pressure. He leads me beside still waters versus rough waters. That means we need peace. David says, apart from you, I have no peace. I can seek it in my palace. I can seek it in peacetime. And yet there's no peace unless you are present with me. We are anxious. You can go to God with your fears. Verse 3, he restores my soul. The Hebrew word for restore actually is, is similar to salvation. He rescues my soul. That means it's like a shepherd binding up sheep and saving the sheep. He says, he restores my soul. We are helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We are foolish. We cannot find ourselves or or go to the right place for salvation or safety. That means you can go to God for help. You can go to God with your trouble. You can go to God with your suffering. You can go to God in the darkness. You can go to God in your brokenness. By the way, these aren't suggestions. David is writing these things out as a lifeline for himself. That means these things are a prerequisite for encountering God, for being intimate with, intimate with God. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That means the Lord is wise. That means I am not wise. David is a king. We're all, we all believe we're kings. And we're, David is saying, he's confessing, I am not wise. The Lord knows the right way to go. The Lord never leads me into a bad place. This is David in a cave. This is David reflecting in the face of death. This is David in the time of war. This is David when he's thirsting for home. This is David wondering and sometimes even doubting, will I ever truly become king? Will there ever be a throne for me? Will I ever get there? Will I ever arrive? He says, the Lord never leads me in a bad place. We are too foolish, too selfish. We don't know what's right. We do things for our namesake. What David is saying is that God has chosen to be in a relationship that is so intimate with me that taking me there to the end is something that he has taken his name on. It's always going to be the best place. That means we can go to God with our doubts. We can go to God with our skepticism. We can go to God when we don't want to obey. We can go to God with our anxieties that pull us away and distract us from God and our relationship with him. In verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, he says. Verse 4 is like an advancing line. It parallels verse 3, and it progresses 
It's a progression of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. What that means is, even when it's dark, even when it's cold, even when I'm alone and isolated and separated, even when I'm longing for my family, longing for home, longing for comfort and relief. My enemies are everywhere on the prowl because David says, I've been in the valley. Sometimes not knowing where to go, where to turn. There's evil everywhere. Every one wrong step, one wrong move, and I'm, I'm, I'm into the hands of my enemies. I could be devoured. And he's learned, I need not fear because I'm intimate with you. You've never led me to a bad place. And with you, I am always safe. David, he goes here. It's an interesting transition. He goes from referring to God as his intimate shepherd to speaking directly with God. You know what that means? He's broken out of the shackles of looking at God and talking about God and going directly to God and speaking directly with him. You see that? He's bursting into song and now he's singing to God. He's singing with God. He's saying, I'm intimate with you. And he's actually becoming intimate. He's talking about his intimacy and actually becoming intimate with God. David goes from referring to God as his intimate shepherd to speaking directly with God. He's referring to him. He's addressing as a shepherd now. And so as he's reflecting, he bursts into song. And he bursts into prayer in song. And he says, you are with me. I will not fear. That's an amazing song. That's an amazing song if you know his story. What is your song in times of darkness? How can you burst into song in times of darkness and aloneness and fear? In verses 1 to 3, he's singing about the shepherd. In verses 4 to 6, David is singing to the shepherd. When do you most often pray? Is it in circumstances where you need help and usually only those circumstances? Or is it when you're always looking back and saying, wow, it was all the Lord. He carried me here and worshiping him. You see, when you're always asking for help, there's never going to be a song. When you're working to help yourself, there's never going to be a song. There's all suffering, all fatigue, all the time. But when you look back and see that the Lord was always there as your help, as your rescue, as your shepherd, there's a song. There's the song. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's guidance. That's the rod. There's discipline, the staff. You lack both, he says. Apart from God, I lack both. I need both. And he gets even more personal as he goes because David up until this point is sheep. But as we move into verses five and six, David, who is a sheep, is also the friend, the guest of an incredible host in the house of God, God himself. David is reflecting on times of suffering and isolation and difficulty as a sheep that is led through the valley, through the ravine, these treacherous areas. It's a metaphor for his entire life. In other words, there's never been a time when I've ever been safe apart from God on my own. And David is saying, or he's singing, much like the way we sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. David is saying that the most important asset in his life is not the help of God, but the presence of God. David's prayer is not the absence of suffering, but more of the presence of God. In verse 5, you prepare a table. 
in the presence of my enemies. Usually those types of tables are prepared in the midst of victory. It's not just that I want to be intimate with you. You prepare that table and invite me. You desire intimacy with me. And this is in the midst of battle. This is in the midst of brokenness. I am beat up, broken, sinful, corroded. I am not in good shape to come before you, and yet you prepare this wonderful table in the presence of my fear and wandering and shaking. There you prepare this table, and you provide for me. A meal in those ancient times represented intimacy. You pre- to prepare a meal, it was to take a tremendous amount of time and tre- at tremendous expense because there were no refrigerators back then. Everything was fresh. You had to gather the stuff. You had to prepare the stuff. You had to kill the stuff to eat. It would take tremendous time at tremendous cost. And yet David says, you prepare that table and invite me in. There is a victory meal prepared for me. Are you afraid? There is victory for you. Are you in isolation? There is victory for you. Are you, of, are you living in fear? There is victory for you. You anoint my head with oil. There is healing for you. My cup overflows. There is shelter and security and love and intimacy for you. This is an invitation for you. If that means that no matter where you've been, that means no matter how you look, no matter what the past has been, no matter what the history, because David has had a long history, this is an invitation to sit in the table, at the table, before the Lord. And so David sums this whole thing up, and he says, there's goodness and love. In some places it's translated, there's goodness and mercy. All the days of my life, until I'm back home safe, the way God is a shepherd who has led me safe forever. That's the end game, to be with the shepherd. How do you have that kind of surrender? How do, you have, how do you come before God with that kind of humility and come before God with that kind of intimacy? In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for sheep. The hired hand, he doesn't provide for the sheep. He doesn't give rest to the sheep. He doesn't save or rescue the sheep. He doesn't guide the sheep. He's a hired hand. He's never present in danger like the shepherd is. In Revelation 5, there's this vision of a king on the throne of God. And the author, who is uh, the Apostle John, he writes, Who is worthy? Who is worthy? And he he hears, there's this lion, there's the lion of Judah. There's the king. And so John looks for this king. He looks for this lion, but all he sees is this lamb. And this lamb is all beaten up and it's slain. He is the worthy one? So is it a lion? Is it a king? Or is it a lamb? And the answer is, it's both. It's both. The lion is the lamb. The king is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. In John chapter 1, you have John the Baptist. He sees Jesus for the first time. And what does he say? Instantly he sees, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In, a, in other words, this is that Lamb that will be slain. And so on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is the Lord has departed from me. The Lord has forsaken me. He is no longer my shepherd. I am without a shepherd and I am in the valley of death, the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd has abandoned me so that he will never abandon you.
Jesus cries out, the Lord is not my shepherd. And so he's crying out for God. I am in want. And I'm working and laboring on the cross. I have no rest. And on the cross, there was a storm. There was darkness. There was an earthquake. Jesus Christ got the storm so that we get the still waters. At Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Why? So that your soul could be restored. The Lord leads Jesus where? In paths of righteousness, his path was Calvary, the cross. So that he could guide our paths to Christ, who is our righteousness, God's namesake. Jesus didn't just walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He walked through death. Death overcame him. So that death will never overcome you. You know what that means? There's a saying. I'm going to kind of add a little bit to it. But it goes like this. Before you surrendered to Jesus, death was merely, death was an executioner. Now... Now that you've surrendered and now that you are intimate with God, death is merely a gardener from which the seed of glory will burst forth. David said, for you are with me, I will not fear. Jesus cried on the cross, you are not with me. He died and suffered the cosmic aloneness, the cosmic isolation There was no one in that moment in the universe that will save him, that will rescue him. And he did that for his people. He did that for the glory of God and for his people. Are you feeling isolated? It's a a crazy time. There's isolation. There's suffering. There's loneliness. Jesus Christ suffered the cosmic isolation and suffering and loneliness in the valley and died completely alone so that you will never be alone. You will always and can always be intimate with God. And so in verse 6, David concludes that surely, with certainty, the goodness of God and the love of God will follow him. And the word follow is a weak word if you read the NIV, the New International Version, which is the translation that we're reading. He says, the goodness and the love of God pursues him. And the Hebrew word there for the goodness, the love of God, is the word kesed, which is really a covenantal word. It's a special word that's used very rarely, and it means unfailing love and mercy. And it's only in reference, it's a one-way reference that God can only have for his special people, his chosen people. David says, no matter where I go, your love, that covenantal promised love that never fails, that is extended not just past his life, but beyond his life, from the beginning of time, that love and that mercy pursues me in a very special way. And we see it in Christ on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ, surrendering his life, becoming weak, coming down to the earth to become weak. Why? Because he's pursuing his people. We are not here because we pursued God. We're resistant. We're like sheep. We are here because God in his faithful covenantal love pursued us. And the end game 
is that we will dwell then with him forever. He will lead us home safely. One day there will be no more danger. One day there will be no more sickness. One day there will be no more valley. There will be no more shadow. Because the light of the Lord will light that city for all time. So only provision and rest and peace and salvation and his presence and wisdom and guidance and safety, protection, his intimacy and healing and his invitation, that table, the goodness, the mercy, the love of God will be in your life forever and ever and ever. If you are scared or in fear or in sin or in darkness or in coldness or isolation, dwell on that reality. That is the reality underneath this visible reality that we are all experiencing this time. Remember that. Dwell on that. For the next two months, we're going to be dwelling on it. Let's pray.